This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The nutrients that you eat literally become the cells in your body. They're building blocks for things like neurotransmitters, which are how your neurons communicate and that determine how you think and feel. And I think so many of us could use some extra support right now. I mean, we're still dealing with a pandemic. We really need to prioritize our mental health right now. And that's certainly what I'm doing through food. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Bussin, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn how to overcome the cycle of joint pain. We'll discuss mood-boosting foods for summer. We'll explore non-binary gender identity. And lastly, we'll get a dragon's perspective on philanthropy. But first, a little bit of business. Is joint pain keeping you from enjoying your favorite activities? New Roots Herbal can help. Whether it's reducing acute pain and chronic inflammation or rebuilding worn-down cartilage, Discover joint pain relief, Inflaheal Plus, and chondroitin glucosamine from New Roots Herbal. Only the highest quality natural ingredients tested for purity and potency in an ISO-accredited lab. Available exclusively at your local health food store. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Dr. Ludovic Brunel is a naturopathic physician trained at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto. Prior to his training as a doctor, he studied human nutrition at McGill University in Montreal. Dr. Brunel has spent the last 17 years helping patients optimize their health through better lifestyle and dietary supplementation. His passion remains educating the public, his patients, and colleagues. Welcome back to the show, doctor. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So... People who listen to the show know that I exercise regularly. You know, I try and do stuff that isn't too much high impact, but then, you know, there's stuff that's there and it can wear and tear on the joints. So I'm glad you're here today because we're going to talk about the cycle of joint pain. Does that make sense? For sure. It's a very common problem and, and it's a condition that I see all the time in practice. Arthritis and joint pain is one of the most common conditions that affect Canadians, especially as they get older. So why is it that we feel pain? Pain is a defense mechanism. Basically, we feel pain because we're injured, and the pain lets us know that we need to rest. Pain is one of the five symptoms of inflammation, together with redness, increased heat, swelling, and loss of function. But once the injury heals, the pain should resolve. And so pain should be temporary and just help us protect an area that's been injured while it uh, heals and recovers. The problem is that pain can become chronic, and uh, that's what happens in arthritis. Mm -hmm. It can be serious. Currently, one in five Canadians live every day with arthritis, and there's no real cure. However, there's lots of ways of alleviating symptoms, decreasing pain, restoring mobility, and uh, really improving quality of life. One in five. I had no idea that it was so prevalent. That's kind of surprising. Like I was saying earlier, it's one of the most common problems that affects Canadians. And so, you know, pain medication, things like over-the-counter NSAIDs are frequently used by those patients. And it can be really debilitating. It uh, decreases their ability to exercise. And of course, exercise is one of the most important things we can do to protect our health long term. So yeah, for a lot of people, it's a very serious health problem. So what are the causes 
of arthritis and, and joint pain. Why do we get stiff and, and less mobile as we get older? That's an excellent question. Traditionally, we thought that osteoarthritis, so the classic arthritis that we see when people age, was related to wear and tear. Basically, mm-hmm. if you use your joints more, if you did more high-impact exercise, you would be more likely to end up with arthritis. Mm-hmm. We now know that that's not correct. Really what's happening is that the body fails at repairing a damaged joint. And so through our daily life, we cause minor injuries in bones and muscle, but also in joints. And our body should be able to repair that and strengthen the area and prevent chronic pain and chronic joint degeneration, such as arthritis. The problem, though, is that for some patients that, or some people, that doesn't happen, and then the joint starts to deteriorate. We lose joint space. The cartilage gets eroded, and then we end up with bone on bone, and that causes irritation, inflammation, pain, and the person is basically suffering and unable to exercise the way they want to. We also know that one of the key things in terms of protecting your joints is the muscles around those joints. So it's the muscles that absorb the force and help protect our joints from deteriorating and, and ending up with arthritis. Initially, we thought it was wear and tear simply because in a lot of athletes, we see that they have a higher risk of osteoarthritis. The reason for that, though, is injuries. And so if we look, for example, at soccer players, uh, they're more likely to injure their knees, their ankles, their feet. And so once there is an injury, then we see that there's a much higher rate of arthritis in the future. There's other risk factors. Not enough exercise or lack of activity, of course, is not good. Mm -hmm. It reduces muscle strength, and then we end up having more force transmitted to our bones and joints. The aging process, of course, is another thing that can cause some deterioration of our joints. As we get older, we tend to lose some muscle strength, muscle mass. It becomes also harder to produce energy inside of our cells, and that energy is needed for repair mechanisms. Less protein in the diet is also a problem for muscle mass. It can lead to what's called sarcopenia, which is uh, loss of muscle, which of course will is more likely to lead to problems. Mm-hmm. In other cases, it's the immune system. And there we're talking about different types of arthritis. It's not right. the osteoarthritis that I was just mentioning. That's like psoriatic arthritis, right? Psoriatic is definitely one of those. The other one that's well known is rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah. And there the immune system is targeting things that it shouldn't. So it's a classic autoimmune reaction. And in those cases, typically we want to do things that will balance the immune system and uh, probiotics there probably have the most research in terms of helping restore some balance to an immune system that's misfiring. So if somebody came to you into your practice and, and, you know, it became obvious that they had osteoarthritis, how would you begin to treat that? How would you address it? So there's a few things that we want to look at. Uh, One of the first things is always looking at nutrition. Uh, We want to make sure that the diet the person is following is not going to promote more inflammation and more arthritis. So often I'll recommend a Mediterranean-type diet. Basically, we're trying to focus on plant-based foods and things that come from the ocean, so things like fish or seafood that are higher in omega-3s and reduce inflammation. We want to reduce processed foods, especially things that are high in sugar, and limit the amount of red meat. Another alternative is Canada's Food Guide. The latest version of the Canadian Food Guide is a lot better than previous versions, and it's 
somewhat similar to what's recommended with the Mediterranean diet. So they're, they're recommending to eat plenty of fruits and vegetables, foods that are high in protein, and eat whole grains. And so we want to try to focus on healthy nutrition to help repair mechanisms, but also decrease inflammation. Mm-hmm. There's other areas of lifestyle that are really important. Regular activity is one of those. Often people will think, oh, okay, I'm injured, I, I need to rest, and, and that's true at first. But exercise helps to reduce inflammation. It's one of the best ways of reducing inflammation in our body. So we want to try to get the person moving again as soon as possible. We'll have to adjust the exercise often. So if the foot is injured, then, for example, we may want to recommend more swimming or more motion with the upper body. Physical therapy is the other key component. And so there, physiotherapy, seeing a chiropractor, getting a massage, uh, all of those types of therapies are usually very helpful. And of course, there's supplements. And in terms of supplements, usually I use a three-pronged approach. So we want to decrease inflammation. Mm -hmm. And some of the things I'll help there, fish oil, plant extracts, and other nutraceuticals can be used to reduce inflammation. We want to try to clean up the area and just get ready for repair mechanisms to take over. And that's something that I'll support with what's called proteolytic enzymes. And those enzymes help to clean up debris and dead tissue in areas where there's been an injury. And then lastly, we want to try to nourish ligaments and cartilage. And typically, that type of repair mechanism I support with collagen and other, other nutrients like chondroitin, glucosamine, MSM, where we're trying to lubricate and just improve the health of the more the collagen in those articulations or joints. Okay, so it's a three-stage process, right? Where you start with getting rid of the inflammation and then you sort of do the cleanup and then the building, right? Exactly. So if I came to you with an issue like an arthritic knee, like what are the timelines for something like that? Well, it depends if, if you've suffered an acute injury first, but typically, you know, the more acute stage where someone's been injured that's going to last a few days up to a week Mm -hmm. if there's a chronic problem such as arthritis typically that's an ongoing process in terms of controlling inflammation right typically we're looking at about a month before we can start seeing some improvements and for some supplements like glucosamine chondroitin more the collagen type supplements typically we want to look at at least three months down the road in terms of improving those structures Okay. So let's focus on those three steps. Let's start with dealing with the inflammation. So specifically, you know, what sort of things are you doing to help with that? Yeah, excellent question. So the fish oils or the omega-3s are usually one of the key components. Basically what happens there is that inflammation is produced inside of our, our cells and the cell uses fat inside of the cellular membrane, just picks a phospholipid in that membrane and it starts to break it down into different components. Now, with the fish oil, we replace some of those fats or phospholipids in the cellular membrane. And so instead of pulling an arachidonic acid, which is a pro-inflammatory molecule inside the membrane, the body, if we use fish oils, is more likely to pick a fish oil molecule or an omega-3 molecule. And that leads to the production of molecules that reduce inflammation. So fish oils are key. Uh, It's one of these essential fats that really helps 
decrease inflammation in the body. Now, there's also plant extracts where we have excellent research showing that they can minimize inflammation and reduce pain. Two of my favorites there are curcumin and boswellia. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is that in our body, we typically produce inflammation through two different inflammatory cascades. One is called COX, which uh, some people may be familiar with. The COX inhibitors, such as Celebrex in the past, were associated with some side effects. So some people have heard of those. Mm -hmm. The other one is LOX. And curcumin and boswellia are the only herbs that block both inflammatory cascades. And so they're typically more effective at lowering inflammation than some of the other natural or synthetic uh, prescription anti-inflammatories. Curcumin in, in Canada also has a health claim, so it's approved by Health Canada, and the claim is that it's used in herbal medicine to help relieve joint inflammation. And so good research uh, with curcumin and boswellia showing that there can be significant improvements in pain, but also inflammation. And specifically for the cleanup aspect, what would you recommend? So there, the proteolytic enzymes are usually very helpful. One of the most commonly used ones is called serapeptase or serapeptidase, same thing. Mm -hmm. It's an anti-inflammatory, so the enzyme breaks up molecules that help produce inflammation. It also reduces pain. It helps to decrease swelling. And like I was saying earlier, it helps remove dead tissue. And so after an injury, those types of enzymes are really useful. Other enzymes in that category include trypsin and bromelain, and similarly reduce pain, inflammation, and also help to heal. And then in terms of the last aspect of the third component to help heal collagen and ligaments, cartilage, mm -hmm. Typically there, what I would use are things like NEEM, which stands for natural eggshell membrane, which contains uh, type 1 and type 5 collagen. So really important as a structural component in tissues such as skin, but also connective tissue, things like cartilage, ligaments, tendons, and even bone matrix. Other molecules or supplements in that category include glucosamine, chondroitin, and MSM. And there's great research showing that, you know, in patients with osteoarthritic knees, for example, by using a combination of those supplements, we can significantly decrease pain and improve mobility and quality of life. Okay, so a lot of these things that you mentioned sound to me like nutraceuticals that can be purchased. And what sort of recommendations do you have with respect to that? Yeah, so all of those are available in your local health food store. You can look at having a consultation with your naturopathic doctor as well. Mm -hmm. But these are all available typically over-the-counter in health food stores. And is there a brand in particular you would recommend? I have uh, several patients that are currently using the Joint Pain Relief by New Roots Herbal, and the product can combine some of those key ingredients that we talked about. So there is the neem in there, there's the curcumin, there's boswellia, there's also devil's claw all known to reduce inflammation and help in terms of patients suffering from arthritic pain. I often recommend New Root Herbal simply because they have the highest quality standards. Their products are all standardized and everything they do is tested in an advanced lab that's certified. And so we can be sure that the potency, the effectiveness is going to be there for their products. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Will you come back again soon? 
Absolutely. I'd love to be back on the show. Thank you again for having me today. That was Dr. Ludo Brunel. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss mood-boosting summer foods on The Tonic. Is joint pain keeping you from enjoying your favorite activities? New Roots Herbal can help. Whether it's reducing acute pain and chronic inflammation or rebuilding worn-down cartilage, discover joint pain relief, Inflaheal Plus, and chondroitin glucosamine from New Roots Herbal. Only the highest quality natural ingredients tested for purity and potency in an ISO-accredited lab. Available exclusively at your local health food store. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. (sighs) Does the fear of losing control keep you awake at night? Enjoy better sleep on something you can control. The Supreme Adjustable Bed by Ultramatic. Customize your back, leg, neck, and lumbar positions with push-button control for relief of back pain, arthritis, and sleep apnea. The Supreme. Take back control of your life. Try Ultramatic's Supreme Adjustable Bed for 100 nights, risk-free. Learn more at ultramatic.ca. Elevate your sleep. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Heather Lillico is a registered holistic nutritionist and yoga and meditation instructor. She helps overachieving, people-pleasing perfectionists find balance in their life. She knows it's possible to break through anxiety and self-doubt and step into a life filled with confidence by incorporating nutrients to nourish your mind and mindfulness techniques to slow you down. For more information, you can visit heatherlillico.com or follow her on Instagram at Heather underscore L-I-L. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me back. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. You know you know what I know about you? I mean, we don't know each other well, but I would say you're always upbeat. You seem to be in a good mood. And I'm wondering, oh, thank you. I'm wondering, is it the time of year? Is it the foods you eat? Is there a connection between food and mood and mental health? Yeah, I, I have some secrets up my sleeve for my mood. Definitely. I think food is a big one of them. Yeah, absolutely. And we know that there is a link between food and, and mood or, or mental health. And I think we often forget the true impact that food has on us. I mean, yes, we know we need it to keep living, but the nutrients that you eat literally become the cells in your body. They're building blocks for things like neurotransmitters, which are how your neurons communicate, and that determine how you think and feel. And I think so many of us could use some extra support right now. I mean, we're still dealing with a pandemic. We have a workforce that's close to burning out, and we really need to prioritize our mental health right now. And that's certainly what I'm doing through food. Yeah. And, you know, like it's uh, the nice thing about Toronto is we have seasons. And I think summer is always kind of nice because you can eat locally. And what do you think about the summer foods? Yeah. I mean, in Canada, we're a bit limited, right, with our growing season. But you're right. In summer, I mean, we have things that are locally available to us, which means peak freshness in a lot of our foods and certain nutrients uh, like vitamin C, for example, degrades when food is picked. So we can see the vitamin C levels drop by 15 to 55 percent within a week of of being picked. There's some studies that have shown spinach can lose up to 90 percent in the first 24 hours. So Mm -hmm. it's really a win-win in summer that our food is fresh and we get to support local. So if we are marrying the local fresh foods and our desire to take in nutrients that help us with our mood, what are the summer fruits and vegetables that are available that you think have an impact on our mental health? Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many incredible ones, but I'll share with you today five summer mood-boosting foods that I, I think are great. 
So the first one is cherries. And cherries are a great source of polyphenols, which are compounds that plants have, and they protect the body from damage. Now, there's a specific one that cherries have called anthocyanin, and that helps with inflammation. And if we're having inflammation in the body, it can actually lead to us feeling anxious or depressed. So cherries are, are great for that. They're also a rare food source of melatonin, which we know helps sleep. And I mean, who couldn't use better sleep in their life? Probably one of the top issues I hear from my clients with anxiety is that they can't sleep. And so cherries yeah. can help promote that. Is it both sour and sweet cherries that have that? Or is it one or the other? Yeah, great question. So most of the research for sleep comes from sour or tart cherries. But there is some evidence that shows that even just regular sweet cherries also still contain melatonin and can help with sleep. Okay, what's next? What's number two? Yeah. We also have gooseberries or golden berries. Have you seen these before? I have. Yeah. So they're a little bit like an underripe grape that's uh, that's orange in color, and they're they're pretty tart. And while they might look like a grape, they're actually related to currants. Mm-hmm. Now, these are great for mood because a cup of them provides 26% of your fiber needs for the day, and we need fiber to speed along any toxins that might get trapped or, or stuck in the body. And if toxins sit too long, they can build up, and then that can affect our mood. And fiber also stabilizes blood sugar, which is a key to feeling calm. So if your blood sugar is all over the place and cortisol and adrenaline need to kick in to help regulate it and and we end up feeling anxious. So gooseberries are another great one. Mm -hmm. We also have mustard greens. And this is a kind of peppery tasting green that comes from mustard plants. And I was thinking, do you grow it in your garden? I was was just about to say, I have a healthy amount of mustard greens in my garden and it is delicious and ready to reap right now. Oh, amazing. Delicious. So great that you can grow it yourself. And and so we know it's going to be super fresh coming from your garden and mustard greens have antioxidants in them. They have flavonoids and things like vitamin C and E, which protect the brain from damage. And mustard greens as well are really high in vitamin K. One cup of them has 120% of your vitamin K needs. And usually we talk about blood clotting if we think about vitamin K, but there's some studies showing that it can reduce anxiety and depression symptoms, at least in mice studies. So it's kind of promising research coming out for that. It's nice to grow because it comes back every year and it does really well in our climate. So it's, it's really, really, really easy to grow, I would say. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what's number four? We also have radicchio. So mm-hmm. radicchio is a type of chicory. It's dark purple color, and it's sort of in the same family as endive and dandelion. Yeah, bitter green. Yep. Uh-huh, exactly, bitter green. Yeah, and so since the taste is bitter, that helps stimulate digestion, which is helpful because if you're anxious, you're stressed out, your digestion is going to have a really hard time producing proper stomach acid and bile. And that's mm-hmm. usually why we see when someone has anxiety, they also have digestive issues like heartburn, bloating, IBS. So radicchio can sort of help that process as well. It's a really rich source of antioxidants. It has the same one as cherries. It has those anthocyanins in it. Mm -hmm. And what's the last one of the five? And then finally, we have summer squash. So usually yellow squash, these are varieties like delicata, which you can eat the skin on, by the way. Mm -hmm. Things like patty pan squash, those adorable little ones. Yeah. Really cute. And then we also have uh, yellow zucchini as well that we see around this time of year. And these types of squash contain vitamin B6, which is a vitamin needed to make neurotransmitters like GABA. That makes us feel calm. Mm-hmm. It also helps with serotonin and dopamine, which make us feel happy and motivated. And there's also folate in summer squash, which helps ward off 
depression. So, so those are some of the mood boosting foods we have in summer. The yellow zucchini, is that not the same nutritional value as the green zucchini for, for the purpose of this discussion? Yeah, very, very, very similar. Okay. They're just a slightly different variety, but nutritionally, both types of zucchinis are going to offer you basically the same thing. We just see usually the yellow ones are more available in the summer. Yeah, I mean, I have the green growing right now and they're not quite like the, the blossoms are out and I can see the start of the zucchinis, but they're not quite ready yet. So. So exciting. Something to look forward to then. Yeah. So you've identified these foods, but what's the best way to sort of bring them into your diet? I mean, cherries are easy. You can just eat cherries. But what about the rest of them? How would you prepare them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're right. I mean, some of them are really easy. We just have them as a snack. Yeah. Cherries, gooseberries, add them in. You can make jam with them too. Yeah. And things like mustard greens and radicchio, I would probably toss them into like a summer salad. But mustard greens you can also do in smoothies or you can do a pesto with them. It's what I often do. So I throw in mustard greens, garlic, olive oil sunflower seeds, nutritional yeast, and boom, you have a really easy vegan pesto. Yeah. With mustard greens, if you're going to use them, they are really peppery. So Mm -hmm. if you're going to put them in a salad, you have to balance them out. I actually harvested some from the garden and made a salad with nectarines and almonds, which was quite good because the sweetness of the nectarines kind of balanced out the pepperiness of the greens, but you kind of need to mix them with another green if you have sort of a delicate palate, I would say. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And I see them as just sort of an add on to a salad. I'll often do that with like, I'm growing dandelion greens in my garden right now. And by garden, I mean like small patio on my Toronto balcony, but <laughs> but I'll mix them into salad, but it wouldn't be yeah just a salad of that because that would be really bitter to handle probably or really intense. Right. So yeah, so it's nice to sort of dilute them with maybe a spinach or a kale, something right. a bit more neutral. So for example, with the squash, when you're cooking the squash, are you diminishing the nutritional value of the food? that you're taking in? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, the cooking method does sort of, it it does matter for a lot of things. We do want to have it raw. So like, you know, cherries and things, if you're having them raw, the nutrients are going to be intact. We wouldn't necessarily have a raw squash unless like zucchini, you could have raw maybe with some hummus or something. But if you are cooking, you might destroy some of the vitamin C content in it because it's going to degrade with um, that heat getting applied to it. But things like fiber and those types of nutrients are going to stay intact in squash. So you don't have to worry too much about fully depleting it of nutrients. I would say if you're going to boil it, maybe like a heavy boil and then take it out of the water. Yeah, you're going to lose a lot of nutrients in the water. So I often recommend, you know, a really light saute or barbecuing can be a great option as long as you're not charring it. So we don't have those cancer promoting properties that are being added to it. Right. What about the time of day when you eat? Does that impact on the nutritional value for the purposes of boosting your mood? It doesn't really impact the nutritional value, but I will say that the timing of when we eat in general is really important for mood. We want to keep that blood sugar stable. And so eating consistently throughout the day is a key of that. So this might look like having a smoothie for breakfast with some mustard greens thrown in, and then maybe a snack of gooseberries mid-morning. Maybe you're having a salad for lunch with some radicchio worked in, maybe some zucchini and hummus in the afternoon, lots of good veggies for dinner, and then maybe cherries in the evening. And I like to put those cherries in the evening because they are a source of melatonin, which can help promote sleep. That sounds like a good idea. So last question, and that is, if somebody really doesn't have a lot of time to sort of prep their food, what advice would you give them? What would you recommend? Yeah, I think two words, meal prep. Because prepping these foods in advance, I think is really key because we know when we're busy, we're stressed out, we don't make the best food choices. And so if we have the things on hand, ready to go, 
And and maybe this looks like, you know, setting aside a couple hours on a Sunday. This is what we do in my house, and we prep about three different meals. So we have variety in the week. And I know for myself, like, if I don't cut up vegetables or have fruit ready to go, I'm just not going to eat it. And so somebody could consider that. If they really don't have any time for that, then do like a meal delivery service where it gets the ingredients already portioned, delivered right to your door. And then you're still getting real whole fresh food that's in season, but you're not having to spend hours and hours prepping it. That sounds like great advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. What do you want to talk about next month? Ooh, maybe some perfectionism we can talk about. All right. That was Heather Lillico. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss non-binary gender identity on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Hi, I'm Jamie Buston. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's a health and wellness publication distributed with the Globe and Mail to each and every home subscriber in Toronto west of Victoria Park. And it can be found free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. You can learn more about Tonic Magazine at tonictoronto.com. Hey, If you like the Tonic Talk Show, check out the new look of Tonic Magazine. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Carlisle Jansen is a sex therapist and founder of Good For Her, Toronto's premier sexuality store and workshop center. She's the author of two books, including Sex Yourself. And you can find her educational videos and TED Talk at carlislejansen.com. She can be contacted directly at carlisle at goodforher.com. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you? Hello. I'm well, thank you. Always nice to be back. I put you to work this time, right? Because you had to do a little bit of research. This wasn't an easy topic. Well, you know, I always do research, but, you know, sometimes you really have to make sure you get it right. And so this was a topic where I really wanted to make sure I had the right language and was using the most respectful ways of addressing it. And a lot of what we're going to be talking about really is linguistic and communicative. And I think it's important. And I have to say, I struggle with this one. This one seems like a lot of what we talk about, I understand and I can connect with. This one for me was more difficult. I think it is for a lot of folks. Yeah. So I think, and that's why I thought we should do it because for me, it didn't resonate. And I thought, okay, all the more reason to have you on the show to discuss it. So what we're going to talk about today is non-binary gender identity. Mm -hmm. So let's start at the beginning. For those who don't understand, what is gender identity? 
gender identity is something that we all have, but not everybody thinks about, is the gender that we identify as. So most people identify as a man or a woman. And if your sex, so whether you have a penis or vagina, matches up with how you identify as a man or a woman, then you would be cisgendered. So your identity would be a man or a woman. But not everybody matches up this way. Um, Some people have a penis but identify as female or as a woman and vice versa. And so I think the word trans has been around a lot and a lot of people understand that, okay, you were born with a penis but you identify as female, so you're transgender. This is something that I feel like has been discussed for, you know, the last 10, 20 years, you know, even in TV and that kind of thing. But then there's also non-binary gender identities that other people identify with who also don't identify as either male or female. And and a lot of people are identifying as such, I find, especially young people. And folks are getting kind of confused about it or don't really understand it. Right. And, and, and really, that was why I wanted you to come on to discuss it, because I think a lot of people, including myself, didn't quite understand everything. And I think the key first step, which is you, what you just identified, is there's a difference between gender and sexuality. They're two separate right. things, right? And yeah. they, they get conflated in this conversation. Right, exactly. Right? Gender yeah, yeah. and sex. Yep. So what we're, we're talking about gender, but of course it touches upon sexual issues, but we're really focusing on the gender, which is the identity. And right. As opposed Regardless to. Regardless of what your body looks like. Okay, cool. So I guess when you're talking about non-binary, then we should conceptualize a continuum then, right? It's not like one or zero, which is the the binary way of approaching it. Right. It, it can mean many different things, right? And it means different things to different people. So, so basically, non-binary folks tend to reject the idea that there's only two genders, which is why non-binary, not two. Right. And I think that's why we, we often have a bit of a reaction, because we're used to, we've been told ever since we were kids, right? Yeah. That there's boys and girls and men and women and penis and vaginas, and they often match up. And some of us are learning they don't always match up. And now there's this idea that there's not only two genders. and It feels like it's a new term, but it's actually been around for a long time in many cultures around the world where people who were non-binary or third gender were actually very well respected traditionally, but that the idea with colonialism and Western culture, you know, this idea of right and wrong, of this way or the highway, has sort of eradicated a lot of that. But a lot of people will identify as either a third gender, they might say they're both male and female or man and woman. They might say there's something completely different. They might say there are no gender whatsoever. And so we need to be open to how folks identify. And it's not just one, two, or three. (laughs) Um, Some people are genderqueer. Some people are bi-gender. Some people are agender. So it's really a matter of there are multiple gender identities beyond just the two that most of us have been introduced to. And again, to clarify, just because you might be transgender doesn't mean you are transsexual. In other words, right. non-binary does not mean intersexual. So, so there's a lot of different things here. So yeah. transgender is usually where you identify as a different gender than right. your sex. Transsexual traditionally means you've done something surgically right. or hormonally to change your sex. 
And some people who are trans are also non-binary or NBs, as they sometimes call themselves. Some people who are NB also are trans, but not necessarily. And then there's intersex. Okay. <laughs> it's a whole other thing. But that's, again, about sex. That's right. about body. That's not about gender. And so an intersex person might have chromosomal, anatomical, or hormonal sex characteristics that are different than just male or just female. And some people don't know that they're intersex until they hit puberty or try to conceive. Others they have known since birth. Got it. Um, so you can be intersex and identify as male or female or non-binary and or trans, because it's a different thing. It's just that our, our bodies are don't necessarily fit the two extremes of male or female. Okay. Now let's shift gears a bit and talk about the ways in which we socialize these concepts. And obviously the first, we like to name things, right? Like we like to, yep. to be clear in our communications. And this is the tough one for me because I'm all about clarity and communication, but I find the concept of the pronouns that people are choosing and using difficult for me to wrap my head around. Can we explore that for a bit? Yeah, for sure. So pronouns are, are ways that we refer to each other rather than having to repeat the name all the time or to refer to someone else. And so the ones we're most familiar with are she, her, and he, him, yeah. right? He did this and his book is this. Some people use they, them. A lot of non-binary folks use they, them as a way of being neither male nor female. Mm -hmm. But some people use the, her. Some people mix them, she, they. And some people are okay with, that means that they're okay with being called she, they're okay with being called they, they're not super particular. So some people are, it's really important to them and some people are a little more flexible and that's, you know, just the way we're all a bit different about how we identify. But the key is we get to decide what pronouns are used for ourselves. Nobody else gets to say what my pronoun is, no matter whether what I look like, no matter what sex you assume I am, you don't get to decide what pronoun it is. I get to decide what my pronoun is. And it, it can be really hard for people when maybe they don't fit gender stereotypes and they're constantly being called she when they identify them or he or z. It can be really hard for them on a daily basis. What else can we do other than using the pronouns that people would like us to use to make a people that are non-binary feel more comfortable in society? Yeah. Um, so the first is not to make assumptions. So um, the easiest thing to do is to ask someone, you know, what pronouns do you use? And even if you're kind of sure, just ask them what pronouns do you use and say, you know, I use whatever pronouns, even though, again, it seems like Jamie, I'm pretty sure you're a he, him, but I'm going to be respectful right. and ask you what pronouns you use because you never, you never know. And also me asking you what pronouns you use means that if somebody in earshot who might identify as non-binary knows, oh, it's okay for me to use my pronouns because you just asked Jamie. Hmm. So that's the first thing. Yep. Um, the other thing is that some people change their names. Sometimes they use um, their middle name. Sometimes they, they change their name to something new. And so what's called a dead name is the name that you were often assigned at birth that you don't want to use anymore. So really don't ever use that name, even though it might be on legal documentation. Right. What's the name that you prefer to use? How do you like to be addressed? And 
this is also really hard when you knew someone as one name and they change it, <laughs> right? Course, yeah. this, it, this can take some time. So just apologize if their gender identity has changed, if their name has changed. If you make mistakes, that's going to happen. Do your best. Apologize. Correct yourself. If somebody else uses it, correct it, just so that everybody sort of is on board. I, I guess understanding is the key, right? Understanding is really, really important. And sometimes, though, you're not going to understand somebody's gender yeah. identity. Sometimes it's not going to make sense for you. And and I think we're all kind of coming to terms with this as, as things shift and change. So even if you don't understand it, that's okay. Just please use the name and the gender that they want to be referred to as. And some people might want to explain it. And especially if you don't know them very well, they might not want to. And that's okay, too. The most important thing is that you use the terminology that they are requesting that you use to apply to them. And I guess by extension, you know, we should consider what kind of gendered language we're using. Yeah. Yeah, and so we want to try to use men and women, ladies and gentlemen. Um, one that I particularly love that I heard recently was "vadies" and "gentle them." <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's cute. It's yeah. very cute, right? Yeah. Um, but but you know, people, folks um, is a good way to be more inclusive. And then if you're going to address someone in a letter using M or MX rather than Mr. and Ms. Great advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's always a pleasure. And thanks for being open-minded. What would you like to discuss next month? So next month, we are going to talk about what is sex therapy all about? Whoa, that sounds juicy. All right. That was Carlisle Jansen. We have to take a short break. But when we return, we'll get a dragon's perspective on philanthropy on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Jack Nathan Health offers Canadians convenient care with 74 multidisciplinary clinics located within Walmart stores. The largest ever Jack Nathan Health Medical Centre is now open in Vaughan, Ontario at 8300 Highway 27. The new 8,300-square-foot clinic offers integrated services for the whole family, including family medicine, physiotherapy, and chiropractic, chronic pain management, massage, and a registered dietitian. There's also an on-site Dynacare blood laboratory, plus same-day referrals, walk-in appointments, and a new annual health assessment option. Jack Nathan Health is a one-stop shop for proactive health management. For more information, visit jacknathanhealth.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Vincenzo Guzzo is a masterful entrepreneur with a diverse portfolio of businesses, including multi-theater chain Cinema Guzzo, restaurants, a construction company, an e-commerce gourmet food platform, and Mr. Sunshine, his personal fashion brand. His role as a dragon on CBC's wildly popular Dragon's Den gives Mr. Guzzo a platform to share personal insights and provide entrepreneurial guidance globally. 
In 2007, he and his wife Maria established the Guzzo Foundation to centralize their philanthropic endeavors, through which they have raised millions of dollars to support medical research aimed at the prevention of cancer and the support of mental health initiatives. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you? I'm great. Yourself? Good. I'm excited to get a dragon's perspective on philanthropy. It's a subject that I think is long overdue. We've really never covered philanthropy on the show, so I'm really interested to hear about it. I know your family is very community-oriented. What sparked that mindset for you? You know, I think it's the way I was brought up. I mean, uh, I don't want to have any brothers or sisters. I'm an only child, so by consequence, uh, you know, my neighbors, uh, their kids, guys across the street, uh, four streets down, they were part of my family, my extended family. And therefore, you know, whether I was looking for help or looking to help, it was more of a community than strictly your family, you know, you know, we're blood. It's only us. There's nobody else type of thing, right? So the only child approach really opens you up to a community. My father's an only child. My grandfather's an only child. So you can imagine that it has been a cultural upbringing in our family to think larger than just your immediate family. So it's interesting. You're saying it's, it's more of an outward perspective instead of an inward familial That's perspective. Right. That's right. So you and Maria started the Guzzo Foundation in 2007. How did that start and what work does it do? Well, when we started, it was to help youth. And then it became environment cancer research, meaning what in our environment puts us more at risk or more susceptible to have certain types of cancers. And I guess the best example I can give you is, you know, an Asian woman in Asia has more likelihood of having ovarian cancer. The minute she comes to Canada and she lives in Canada for, call it 10, 12 years, her incidences or her probability of getting ovarian cancer drops significantly, but her chances now of getting breast cancer skyrocket. Hmm. So what is it in our environment, right? A lot of people don't know that we funded the Guzzo Environment Cancer Research Chair with the University of Montreal, who was actually involved against the big tobacco case who showed that statistically, you know, people who smoked or whatever, whatever, Mm -hmm. created more likelihood of cancer, created a higher cost to the healthcare system, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what it did initially, and it involved itself with children's hospitals, right? So we, for example, helped the Shriners Hospital and helped the Montreal Children's Hospital. As time went by, we sort of used our, and I'm going to use the word celebrity loosely, our our celebrity status to say, you know, not that cancer is not important, but there's a lot of people in the cancer space. A lot of people are, you know, trying to help and find a cure, et cetera, et cetera. We're even invested in it as investors, you know, with the Guzzo Nano Research Chair. But so ultimately what we did is we switched everything to mental health, Mm -hmm. mostly youth mental health. So we're trying to create an awareness where people are okay with saying, you know what, I need help. You know, I feel anxious. I, I don't feel, I feel as if something's going to happen, you know, et cetera, et cetera, instead of just isolating ourselves. And so because we have one of Maria's sister has mental health issues, you know, for us, it was a way to say not only do we want to bring awareness to mental health, we also know as a family the impact it has on every member of the family, even if not every single one of them may be afflicted with an issue personally, it does become personally on a community-minded of the, uh, of the whole family. Yeah, I think a lot of people who give, it's personal to them, right? Like, it, it makes sense, right? Like, you, you see somebody you care about 
suffering. And, you know, if you're in a position to help, obviously, you know, that's going to be your focus because it is so personal to you. That makes a ton of sense. Right. And, and then the other thing you have to remember that when it becomes personal, it means that you, whether you like it or not, start educating yourself yeah. in that space. Right. For example, my dad had prostate cancer. And when that occurred, I went out and said, you know, we could almost find a way you know, my father's still alive. He, he, you know, he had cancer in 2001. Mm-hmm. You know, so 20 years later, you know, so he was 55. 20 years later, he's still alive. He's still doing great and whatever. Now, he's in remission or he still has cancer. He still has to take his medication, whatever. But it is what it is. But what the problem that I think nobody realized was that psychologically, you are impacted just as much as maybe physically when it comes to certain of these illnesses like cancer and so forth, right? Sure. And so I've seen and I've had the chance to speak to, to doctors and say, you've got to better, we've got to help people, not only physical, but you've got to help them mentally as well. And, you know, the pandemic last 14 months, if it's proven anything, is, you know, our healthcare system may have had a deficiency, you know, on physical health. Right. But I think the worst is to come when it comes to the impact this pandemic has had on the mental health of people. And I think that's where ultimately we'll all have to go back and concentrate and see how can we help people who have lived, you know, 14 months of total nightmare and have been uh, maybe impacted long term. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, as bad as COVID has been, and obviously there's been all sorts of people that have been touched physically, I agree with you. I think we are just about to experience the longer lasting fallout, which is going to be the the mental health issues and the problems that it's caused for relationships and business. People have lost businesses, people who haven't had the opportunity to keep their health in check by not visiting the doctor. All those things are going to build up. How did you get, like, you got involved personally, but you you also got your businesses involved in the philanthropy as well. How did that work? Well, I mean, you know, it's it's very hard not to get your business involved when, you know, the the key business you have is called Cinema Guzzo, and it's basically my last name, right? So it's sort of like, and so, you know, it's not a secret that I'm the spokesperson for my company. So for me, it was just simple that people realize that behind these companies, there is a human being. There are people. Right. And, and so during the pandemic, you know, we've heard some people say, well, we really don't care if a dragon lost a lot of money. You know, yeah. he's got the money. But, you know, a lot of people need to realize that Cinema Guzzo is 600 people. It's not just, of course, Guzzo, you know, and there's and, and there's families to those 600 people, et cetera, et cetera. So for us, it's just natural to have our company or various companies involved in whatever we do, because it's you know, our companies are part of the community, right? So, you know, it's not a secret. I've been a big, big critic of offshoring businesses like Netflix and so forth. We're not paying their, you know, fair share of taxes, right? So for me, my corporations are here. There's no reason for them to not participate in the community, not help create sometimes discussions that will let us all progress as a society, right? And, and, And I think we don't speak enough. And I think as a society overall, we get shamed sometimes into bottling our opinions, and and that's wrong. So my company has given me that vehicle, has given me that possibility to actually reach out to the community, because that was the first thing people knew. They knew the cinemas. They knew, right? So when I showed up, it was Vince Guzzo, the guy from the cinemas, right? So it was always the cinema was, and our cinemas are in communities, right? So, you know, we're in the suburbs in some cases, we're on the island of Montreal, but every theater has its community around it. 
You know, in the U.S., we like to say that there's two religions. There's your church and there's your your movie theater in small towns, right? And, yeah. and so it was just a natural for our businesses to be on, on the forefront. We only have time for one more question. And, and I'm really interested to hear, you know, given your experience, what recommendations you would have for any entrepreneurs or really anybody who wanted to get involved in, in charity or community work? So I think the most important thing that everybody needs to understand, and it's going to sound like just a slogan, but it is something I really believe in. Charity starts at home. So, you know, you're an entrepreneur. You're already going through a series of ups and downs, trials and tribulations. You know, build your company first. Make sure it's on solid ground. And then you can give back to your community. Wanting sometimes, you know, and I see it on the den all the time. You know, everybody thinks that if they come there with a great business pitch, but also with a, you know, we're going to give 5% of our profits away or whatever, that's yeah, yeah. going to make us melt and say, oh, yes, this is the business I want to invest in. No, that isn't. The truth of the matter is you must be first and foremost, you know, healthy as a person, but as a corporation before you can go out and give back to the community. That's when it comes to, you know, big donations, stuff like that. On a smaller level, just remember when those hockey teams come by and they knock on the door and they say, hey, can I have $500 for my hockey team? It's great. I think you should help those kids because those kids will remember it. And today, after COVID, you know, one of the slogans out there is, remember those businesses that gave you $500 for your kids' hockey team? Well, they need you now, right? And that's the philosophy. But let's not overdo it. Let's not forget that as an entrepreneur, you are a business builder, right? And whether we agree or not on this one, as I create wealth, for myself, for my family, for my corporation. I'm also creating jobs. I'm also creating wealth for families that work for my corporation. So indirectly, we're giving back. But once you've solidified your finances, then yes, you give back. And you've got to give back where you feel there is a weakness. So we gave back a lot in hospitals when it came to the imaging department. Why? Because a lot of people don't realize that imaging is the bottleneck of the healthcare system. That's how we avoid having to give you your surgery early. We delay your tests. We delay your imaging, right? That's how the government, you know, I had a health minister once tell me, that's how I control my budget, by the amount of imaging machines I've got. By you paying for three of them, you've pretty much screwed up my my budget planning (laughs) because now more people can get their results. And once you have a result, then the system has an obligation to take care of you. But if I delay your imaging, by six months, I've delayed your surgery by another six months as well, right? And so you've got to give back where you understand, where, and it's okay to give and ask for accountability. I think one of the biggest problems, you know, we have sometimes is on an English-minded way, we say we give money and then, you know, we should be classy about it, just give and not, that's not true. I think it's important that people realize that when we give a million dollars to a hospital, I actually demand, you know, on a yearly basis, accountability. I want to know, what did my million dollar do? How did it help? What's the positive? Because I don't want my million dollars to go pay for more, you know, fundraising salaries. I don't want it to be an administrative impact. I want to, I want the impact to be on the grounds, on the, you know, I like to say boots on the ground. And that's what people must remember. You must go. You must truly analyze and not just write a check and say, I've done my good deeds for the day. I gave my money. Leave me alone. Fantastic advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Ludo Brunel, Heather Lillico, Carlisle Jansen, and Vince Guzzo. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. The May-June issue is still available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to every home subscriber in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. But until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.